0: Hello! Welcome to Dungeon Delving. I'm Brandon Wagner. I'm Adam McKeever. And today we're delving into bards! Again! I won't sing again. So last time when Tim and I talked about bards, we talked about how bard is a class that is very attractive for... I can't think of the word. The the disruptive player. And because of the features it gets, it kind of just makes sense. But as I was thinking about this episode over the last couple weeks, actually, I'm like... Bards, I feel like they're such a versatile class. They can do so many different things, but they get typecast so hard into the stereotypes about the class. You know
1: what I'm okay. saying? Okay. So, speaking of which, on our Twitter, the Dungeon Delving Twitter, I recently uh, retweeted something from uh, a d enthusiast, Ginny D. She does a lot of cosplay. Okay. Awesome YouTube content. I should actually look at our D dungeon delving twitter sometimes eh? yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, not many people are on there you should follow us at dungeon delving yeah we put episodes up there and we'll probably when we get some followers we'll start doing some polls and yeah maybe even uh as like a bonus thing we'll do like a live episode with twitter's new spaces feature Ooh. Ooh.
0: i would but... love to do an answering fan mail episode but oh, we need
1: some cool. fan mail yeah <laughs> yeah i mean there's that voice memo feature that we have with anchor so like there's that too but anyway jd said okay can we please accept that bards aren't the only ones that want to fuck a dragon okay i'm on board <laughs> actually where is my tweet bot i can pull it up because i do 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 tweets yeah, it's twenty twenty one. Stop acting like bards are the only ones that might want to fuck a dragon. Is what <laughs> Ginny actually said.
0: You don't have to be a bard to be a furry. No, you don't.
1: No. <laughs> as clear by all my characters. Anyways,
0: <laughs> bards, 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 bards. Um, I like. I think bards. They 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 just they get typecast into their stereotypes as badly as things like paladins and barbarians and. Oh yeah, definitely. Really, every class I think, except maybe druids. I don't think druids really get stuck with too much. Like, there's not so many stereotypes that bog down that class. I mean, if you don't take Shillelagh, what are you even do? Why are you even playing a druid? Um, I want my magic stick. But <laughs> bards, I just I love bards. I think bards are great. Uh, Xanathar's Guide has the role playing hooks in it, and the ones for bard are like, what is your your biggest embarrassment? What is your uh what does your instrument look like you know kind of making your bard your own
1: that's one thing also that i kind of dislike about the way that they do bards, that bards always tend to have an instrument it's just like you don't have to be a musician to be a bard you know the bard shakespeare yeah he wasn't a musician i would i was if if i made him as a DD character i'd probably make him a college of eloquence Oh, definitely, which we're going to talk about here because that's one Tasha's new. Yeah. I love bards that aren't musicians. And I think there's a handful of bard subclasses that really. I'm sorry. <laughs> Moxie, Brandon's do dog, is here. <laughs> she was doing this weird thing where she was like kind of half standing and I just couldn't stop laughing what at What do you it. smell? Oh, she's um, cute. Anyway, but but yeah. I like bards that aren't musicians because
0: the bard as a class is i kind of view it as the the wandering person who brings the news you know in real life history bards were a thing that existed in you know the middle the middle ages and the renaissance and to an extent even today yeah and what they did was is they would travel from town to town and yeah they do performances but then they also would gather rumors and information about the goings on and bring them to the next town in a time when you know like mail didn't really exist and I mean most people back then
1: couldn't read or
0: write exactly so
1: so, so the, the spoken word
0: of the bard was how information got around and I like the idea of a bard that like Oh, the the local lord sends out an edict about a law he's changing. And so he sends out a bunch of people that go out and read the edict. And everybody's like, okay, but what does that mean? Like, I understand the words you're saying, but what does that actually mean for us? And then you have a bard who says, so there's this new law. Here's how it's stupid. And now everybody goes, oh, that's how it works. You know, (laughs) like, I remember reading a statistic a few years back where people that watch Like late night comedy, like the Today Show and Last Week Tonight, stuff like that. Those people tend to be more politically informed than people that only watch the news. Oh, yeah.
1: (laughs) I get half of my political news from Last Week Tonight because I absolutely love that show.
0: (laughs) And, like, it's, yeah, it's comedy, but they're also talking about actual issues and things that are happening. And that's, those are the modern bards, I -hmm. think. Comedians, too. Like, stand up comedians do a lot of. Here's what's going on in the world. Let's make fun of it. And then people go, I didn't know that was going on in the world. And they learn about the world around them. But I like bards. I like the, um, what are they? The College of Swords and the College of Whispers from Xanathars. I watched another group play D&D on YouTube a while back. And they had a College of Whispers bard who was, like, she owned the local bar and brothel and the... The, the merchant, the mercantile town where everybody came to sell their goods. So like her character, when they started their campaign, they were all in the market, but they weren't together. But she already knew each of them were there because, oh. you know, she was the character that, you know, she ran the bar. So people came in like, oh, there's this weird traveler. I've never seen someone like them before. oh this, this cleric of this order is here and they're out pre- street preaching. So like she knew before she knew each of the other characters were there before they all knew each other were there.
1: Okay, I like that. I,
0: I like that with the bard. And then um, Tasha's gives us College of Eloquence, which I also don't see as the, the musician bard. It, it's definitely necessarily. not. And
1: I, it's more of the thespian bard. Yeah, and one of the things is, I, I did try to play a College of Eloquence bard back when it was in the UA and not in Tasha's. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I was trying to set out with it is this is not a bard that fights. I mm-hmm. actually... For quite a bit of time, didn't even have them with a weapon. Mm-hmm.
0: This is a bard that stands in all, the back and just yeah. uses support. And
1: all of their spells were support stuff, except for like vicious mockery and. Well, no, I would the, I would consider like, like vicious mockery and uh, dissonant whispers. I would call those support spells. Great, but because they of, they debuff your enemy. Right, but one of the big problems we were having with that group is that our DPS was low. <laughs> <laughs> didn't have a fighter. Or a no, sorcerer. No, we, we had like a cleric, a druid. Um, <laughs> All support classes. Some weird... We, we did have a fighter, but they were like the cavalry one or something like that. So oh, cavalier. Supposed, yeah, so they were supposed to be on a mount. Which and ca- we were never cavalier, on a mount. I have, a, I have an idea
0: for a cavalier build that doesn't rely on being mounted, but it's very feet heavy and is very like, I'm going to hold the line. And you might hear thing. about it in our future fighter podcast. I think I actually That's talked it. about it in the last time I talked about fighter. Maybe I, don't know. I might have. I'll talk about it again because
1: it's, it's been ages since I heard. It's kind of a it's podcast. kind of a cheesy build, but whatever. Anyways, what?
0: what were you saying about your DPS was low, Bards? Sorry, oh yeah, I, I, uh,
1: I, I tried it, and it 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 it's really interesting. But one of the problems with the College of Eloquence Bard is. You actually have to have your character be, like, you know, eloquent in the way they speak. And (laughs) I have this bad habit of, hey, all of my characters are himbos, and this character was no exception. Well, my thing is, and I've
0: heard other DMs talk about this issue, and it, it relates to bards much more than any other class. And it's with the stat charisma. Okay. A lot of times, I feel like charisma is the stat where... People will say you need to actually like, what do you, what does your character say? And then expect you to say w- verbatim what your character says. Whereas I, as a DM, if I had a, a charismatic character, I would want to, to get away from that and be like, what are your character trying to say? Like, give me the gist of what they're saying. And obviously them having 20 charisma versus the average D D player having like six is <laughs> going to be a very different, like, here's what I'm trying to say through my character. And right. Like, okay, so your character will say that more eloquently than you will. You don't have to do it referred. Because, like, when you think about, like, the physical stats, none of us are as strong, dexterous, or tough as our characters are. You know? 20 strength is, like, s- beyond superhuman, and people will have it at, like, fourth level. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> because they'll get a good roll, uh, a racial bonus, and be like, okay, level four, ASI, 20 strength. I can move mountains now, basically. <laughs> like... But with charisma, it's just, it's, it's a stat that I've definitely heard other DMs talk about. Why do we do this? Why do we, and a lot of people do it without really meaning to. And I think that if you have a bard in your party, it's important to talk to that player and be like, what are you trying to say? What is your bard trying to do? What are you trying, what, what goal are you trying to achieve? And like, how would your character do
1: it? Somebody's calling me. Oh, it's well. it's spam so I don't care
0: oh. I don't know anyone named potential spam
1: they're not on my friend's list <laughs> well at least it wasn't potential Sam because that would be kind of unfortunate if you said no I'm not gonna answer that <laughs> um
0: but yeah like the bard I, I think that it's it's important to just have that discussion with your bard player beforehand or and and then again in the moment like what are you trying to say what are you trying to do and then let the dice kind of be that determiner of success rather than what the player actually says verbatim. You know what I mean? Right. So let's, let's quick talk about the two new... The, the new stuff that Tasha's gave us.
1: Yes, yes.
0: Um, we get new spells, which is great. You get new uses for your Bardic Inspiration as a new base class feature where you can use it for magical healing and damage. And it's to one target. So okay. if you cast Fireball, use your Bardic Inspiration, you don't deal four extra damage to everything it's one target it's one thing affected by that
1: spell same thing with like mass healing word so like you could be like okay i'm gonna fireball and i'm gonna get all your little minions but screw you in particular (laughs) this one in particular is taking extra damage and the same thing with like mass healing word you're gonna give a little extra oomph to
0: somebody right and that's that's their new magical inspiration (laughs) Mm -hmm. correct and then you've got bardic versatility which every single caster class got this feature Half this feature, which is when you reach a level where you can take an ability score improvement, you can swap out any number of your cantrips. cantrips, which if I'm running a campaign that's going to be very long and we're going to beat 20th level for a while, I'm going to let you do that on long rests at that level. But not until you're 20th. And then, but the bard can also change their expertise. It has to be to a new skill that you're proficient with
1: but still you can kind of adjust your and and i like like, you you went like oh yeah i'm gonna have my expertise in stealth because i know that we're gonna do that and then there's no opportunities to be stealthy and Mm. it doesn't seem like any are coming so it's just like "Hmm, maybe i should put it into survival because we've been having a hard time finding food (laughs) and it's 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 very
0: like a quick glance at it you might think well that's weird but when you really think about it if if your character is use it has two skills they're proficient with, proficient with, and they take expertise in one but not the other, and then they're not using the one they have expertise with, but they are using the one they don't. Why wouldn't that swap? You know, you can easily roleplay it as, yeah, my character's not practicing this skill. I'm not practicing intimidation, but I am practicing stealth. Exactly. So my my ability to intimidate with my words is it's you have to. Even the, even the best athletes practice
1: every day, you know? and exactly. musicians And
0: musicians. Hey, bards.
1: <laughs> uh-huh. That's why I don't play piano that well anymore is because I don't practice every day. Right. <clears throat> Excuse me. So then the first college we get is College of
0: Creation, which when you read about it in Tasha's, it's very Forgotten Realms lore built with right. this Song of Creation that was sung by... Um, Bahamut and Tiamat as two of the first singers of this song, and now dwarves and gnomes sing it, and it's 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 a thing that exists in the D and D universe. But I look at that and I'm like, if I'm homebrewing a world, and somebody wants to play a College of Creation bard, we can do a lot of different stuff with this.
1: Yeah. See, the the first thing though that I think of is because of a meme that I saw when this first came out in the UA stuff is. You just start making your way downtown with this. (laughs) Why are you the way that you are? (laughs) (laughs) Drama.
0: I like it for... And it doesn't have to be... Like, if you want it to be the... Oh, when the world was first made, the gods sang this song, and it created the world. And now we are able to sing it. And because we're not gods, we can not create... Worlds, we can just create objects and things with it. Or if not create the objects, at least breathe life into right. them. Or, or alternatively, I had an idea where the song of creation isn't like words and musical notes like we know them, but it's the sound of like a a seed splitting as the stem begins to grow. It's the sound of like an egg cracking as an animal hatches. It's the cosmic it's, background it's,
1: radiation of the universe yeah, picked it's, up in a microwave scale. Exactly.
0: And when you, when you channel that magic, you are, you are, you are listening for this, this song of creation that was started by the sound of the big bang. Like that was the big bang was the first note of the song of creation. And you can still, and it's still being played today. And, as a College of Creation bard, you're not playing a playing the Song of Creation, but you're listening to the, you're listening to it, the, and you're hearing it, and you're it's like it's like Druidic magic where you're feeling right. like natural energy and then and then t- warping it into or possibly your the Song of
1: Creation is something that's continually ongoing mm-hmm. and. The bards that are of this college are able to add to it. Right, add new verses, add new, new bards, verses, new harmonies, <laughs> new melody, that kind of stuff. Rather than it just being a, oh yeah, you're just singing what's already been sung. It's like, no, 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 no. It, 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 it's a, it's a collaborative thing. It's yeah, it's, crea- it's, it's creation. I'm not, I'm creating more
0: of this song. I right. also like it as, as, as a. It doesn't have cosmic impl- implications. It's just we as bards a group of bards at some point in time learned how to wield bardic magic into breathing life into things and creating objects. And now you're doing it. So it doesn't have Or
1: as- or you're just, uh, what was it, Celine Dion? Yeah, Celine Dion. you can sing so emotionally that it brings things to life because they have to weep. <laughs> was that Celine Dion? I can't remember. It sounds like Celine Dion. Yeah. I watched this whole thing about how... Uh, Adam Neely on YouTube Mm. uh, did this whole thing about this one song, how there is one chord change in it that has this ridiculously long technical name uh, that she was singing it. And most of the time it's just like, yep, I bent the world around me and it listened. (laughs) And then one time right after her husband had died. And then shortly after her son had died and this was her first performance back. And she hit that note and she just broke down crying afterwards she couldn't continue the show for like a good 20 minutes wow because for the first time she hit that note and the world didn't bend
0: no music is so emotional exactly and like as as i i don't really consider myself a musician like i know how to play an instrument but the back i
1: don't know a lot of musical theory (laughs) the bagpipes are less of a uh Let's move you into this, like, soothing kind of, like, really wrench at your, like, emotions. No, the bagpipes are to get you ready for war.
0: <laughs> well, not necessarily. No, when I, when I hear it. Amazing Grace being played by a hundred pipers, like, that that moved my soul. Like, the yeah. first time I saw the mass bands at the Alma Highland Festival, and, it, it like, I felt something in my soul. And then the first time I played in it, like, that was... I can't even, like, quantify it. Like, it was
1: such a moving experience. And bards get to do that! (laughs) Yes. But, something that we can quantify are their abilities. Yes. And so, this first one just makes me think of freaking Kingdom Hearts. Like, this is definitely... The moat of potential. Yeah, this is definitely just, like, a Kingdom Hearts 3 graphic that just happens (laughs) while you're playing the part of creation. Because it... The description here is whenever you give a creature a bardic inspiration die you can utter a note from the song of creation to create a tiny moat of potential which orbits 5 feet around that creature. It's intangible and invulnerable and it lasts until the bardic inspiration die is lost. It looks like a musical note, a star, a flower or other symbol or art uh, or, or art of or life that you choose. Jeez I don't know how to read. So you can have your mode of uh, inspiration be butterflies or minus tiny little guys doing that Russian dance where they kick like a whole <laughs> bunch like a whole bunch of
0: them <laughs> like the, orbiting the, you. The,
1: the Slavic oh jeez. Okay. Yeah.
0: Yep. There and if you listen close, you can hear rah-rah rasputin coming from it.
1: <laughs> That's terrible. You're a horrible person. I'm glad to have you as my friend. <laughs> now, something that really is
0: interesting to me is that so what the moat does is it enhances the effect of your bardic inspiration if they uh when they when they use it for no when they use your bardic inspiration for an ability check they roll two die and choose the higher when they use it for an attack roll they force a creature to make a constitution saving throw and if they fail they take thunder damage equal to the bardic inspiration dies roll and then if they use it for a saving throw then they gain temporary hit points equal to that roll plus your charisma modifier. They gave bards a new use for their inspiration with magical damage and healing, but the mode of inspiration or potential doesn't
1: work with that feature, which I find interesting. I think it's because it's an optional feature because you Mm, you don't have to use that one.
0: That is fair. Um, And then you've got the two the next three are all creation-related, specifically. You have performance of creation, which lets you create an um, object that is medium or smaller. It gets bigger as you level up, and it has to have a gold piece value of, what is it, like 20 times your level?
1: 20 uh, times your bard level. So less than 20 times yeah. your bar level.
0: So, but then, you know, your so 14th level no, no, feature... No
1: creating, like, tanks or something.
0: Your, your 14th level feature lets you get rid of that... Um, gold create, gold value
1: Restriction. restrictions. You can create anything, really. Yeah, yeah just, you know, uh, utter a diamond into existence and Ugh. give it to the cleric to uh, revive.
0: Yeah, and this when I look at the performance of creation I see that as such a roleplay heavy feature. Like, oh, we need to, remember in our homebrew campaign where the, the the big bad, who you didn't know was the big bad yet, wanted the magic items you guys had, had found because they were vampire slaying items. And so Andrew's uh, kenku made perfect replicas to give to him you could do that with this feature you yep. could create they, they only last an hour so you need to give them to the person and then get the hell out of there but, but it, it'll serve your instead purpose. of having
1: to spend the time to make them and do all the stuff you just go okay yeah here you go exactly and then you get your stuff done and then you you're like okay yeah we didn't trust him at all let's go stab him in the back Right, like we think he's he's a bad guy, but
0: we need something. We need his reward that he's going to give us for doing exactly. this. Mission. So, um, and then the animating animating performance lets you animate an item.
1: And this, and... Is, this is how you make your way downtown with this <laughs> job class. This is where you animate a piano and <laughs> then you ride it.
0: Now, I'm thinking of animating a piano to be like the one from Super Mario 64 that tries to eat you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like you're, you're playing on your piano and then somebody gets close to you and the piano goes, jump, 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 and tries to catch them. <laughs> but the dancing item is, I'm looking at that and I'm like, okay, so now not only do bards have all these cool support spells and um, role-playing features, they also have the ability to turn to to tip the scales of action economy more in favor of the party. Because now you have this item that exists and fights and deals force damage That is yours and obeys Mm -hmm. you and takes its turn on your turn. So it's like, oh, hey, let's have a Bard, a College of Creation Bard, a Circle of the Shepherd Druid, a Paladin, a Cleric, because they both get Summoned Celestial in their new spell list. And a Battle Warden Artificer. Yeah, and a Battle Warden Artificer, and we're just going to basically have a small militia everywhere we go. Yep, yep. Like, hey, DM, you better throw lots of monsters at us all the time, or we're going to just kill everything. With... Pure action economy. Because that's really what balances 5th edition D&D, is the action economy. It's less so the features themselves and the stats. But, like, you can have an under-statted party, but if they have that action economy advantage, they can still beat things that they otherwise
1: shouldn't be able to. Or you just, you know, roll like Dale and you give the things that you shouldn't be able to kill in embolism. And, you know, yeah That That was 3-5, which had extra special rules. Yeah, but, like... I'd still allow it in 5e. Me too. So now we have <laughs> now we have College of Eloquence, which is your
0: the Bard himself. Yep. Type character. Um winning over skeptics
1: with logical arguments. <laughs> so just so you know, this is not your Rick from Rick and Morty, because Rick does not give logical arguments. He just batters you with whatever the hell he wants to say, and then he figures out a way to make it true later. <laughs> Because <laughs> he's ridiculous. No, this
0: is Spock as a bard.
1: Yes. <laughs> this is this is if if Spock was you know like actually able to not be like a robot, but <laughs> um, so your first feature, Silver
0: Tongue, gives you um, you treat a roll of nine or ten or nine or lower as a ten for persuasion or deception, which is pretty cool. So, with with standard DCs
1: at third level, it's going to be very hard for you to fail. So, you, so you take your expertise in this, and then when you get to a high level, your lowest uh, roll is going to be, like, what, a 22? Something like that, yeah. Double your proficiency bonus.
0: You roll a 10. You roll, oh, I rolled an 8. That's a 10. I have plus, if I, you have plus 5 proficiency bonus at that point then yeah it's a 20 you get to a a high enough level, yeah 22 because you get plus six with your proficiency eventually yep and then you're like hey you better set dc's really high or i'm gonna always succeed and get everybody to do what i want
1: all the time and that's why people don't like bards (laughs) well here's the thing if you're playing it uh, if you're dming it right your persuasion would be like, oh, okay, you, you have that, like, bracketing of it where, like, okay, this guy will not listen to you unless you give, like, the perfect argument. Right, it and has to do then, with... And then he's going to be very, like, Um, yeah, no.
0: There's a section in the DMG about the attitude that NPCs have towards the party. And if you use that as a basis for what you set your DC as, then that will help you to have a dc that's going to be appropriate and make it so that this bard isn't going to just roll over everything additionally it has to do with how you react like yes your persuasion check succeeds but xyz so like mm-hmm. if, if if like with that thing in the dmg it talks about like oh they're indifferent towards the party they'll help but they won't endanger themselves to do so so you can succeed on your persuasion check i roll the nat 20 and i have plus 12. So, I, that's a 32. They have to help me. Yeah, but they're not going to endanger themselves to do it. Like, yes, they'll help you,
1: but there's still they have they still have lines that they aren't going to cross. They still have Exactly. Um what's this the word? this isn't the kind of stuff where it's just like, yeah, I'm going to pickpocket your spine. Right. This is that's the, the the issue. I think bard
0: becomes a problem class if you're playing a style of D&D where if the player Rolls high enough, they succeed exactly how they want to, and you as the DM are powerless against it. It's a very power in the players' hand way to
1: play, which is okay. Which, which is fun. But like one of the things that I like about the uh, the Fate system, especially Monster of the Week, uh, is when you make your roll, there's like three different levels of it. Is is like a success. Which means that, yeah, you get a bonus to what you do. Mm -hmm. But it's not always going to turn out exactly the way you want it. Right. Then there's a mixed success, which has a glitch to it. And then there's a complete and abject failure. Mm. And I I think integrating that into the way that you DM is just something that people should be more expected to do. Mm -hmm. it do It has to do with, like, how your
0: NPCs are going to act. And, like, yeah, you rolled a nat 20 on your thing, so they're going to... You've persuaded them to aid you, but they that, might not do exactly what you want.
1: Now, Granted, uh, saving throws and ability checks, they don't have criticals, so nat 20 means nothing. Yeah,
0: that's something, too. I feel like there's definitely players out there who think it should. Like, if I roll a nat 20 on my persuasion check, so that person needs to do exactly what I say. No, no they don't, because nat 20a isn't a guaranteed success and even if it is a success it doesn't mean that they're going to do everything exactly how you want them
1: yeah the only way it. you could do that is with like uh i don't know like using one of the new bardic spells that you can get uh command yeah that, and even that, that even then, i don't think you can command someone to well, do yeah, something that will harm yeah, them uh the spell has no effect if the target is undead if it doesn't understand your language or is if the command is directly, directly harmful, harmful to, to it. it yeah so you can't say okay I'm gonna cast command and make you slit your throat or something like that. Like no, I think
0: I think what attracts people to bards is they want to imbalance the power between the power dynamic between the player and the DM. And I think D and D is at its best when that is as close to equally balanced as possible. Yeah. If anything, and maybe this is just my personal bias, I think the players should have a little bit more power in that because it's this it's their story they're telling their character's story so i think there should be the dm should be able give a, a little bit of that wiggle room of this is what you want to do we'll let you try it you know don't make your narrative so structured in stone that it can't adjust to what right. the players want to get out of the game because i mean, maybe it's just my dm style but when you guys are getting what you want out of the game I'm getting what I want out of the game because you guys are having a good time. You guys are enjoying the
1: story I've made. And that's why you're an awesome (laughs) dude. I try. (laughs) And you aren't using any unsettling words. When we talk about, when we do
0: a a retrospect episode on out of the abyss after we finish, there's some things that I want to talk about that I feel like I did wrong, but we are learning. So (laughs) anyways, let's get, let's get back onto the college of eloquence bard. What is it? Unsettling words? You can use your Bardic Inspiration to reduce the roll of on a saving throw before the start of your next turn. I like this feature because it's not guaranteed to succeed. Right. Because you might use it, and then they never have to make a saving throw before your next turn, so it's a wasted ability. Which, as a player, would frustrate me, but from a, you know... Keeping track of all the effects on stuff for the DM, keeping track of all the effects on stuff as the player that you have out there. It makes sense it, and it balances.
1: Right. Not to mention, this is also a really good ability for like, you know, player tactics, like we talked about oh, no, a couple yeah, weeks exactly. ago. Exactly. You know, well, if, a couple if... weeks ago for you guys, it was like months ago for us. <laughs> you can use unsettling words when you know your sorcerer is going to throw a fireball. Exactly. Like,
0: I really want that guy to get burned to a crisp, so I'm gonna make their saving throw a little bit weaker.
1: Yeah.
0: And that's also an ability that scales really nicely because it's you roll your Barding inspiration die. So as you level up, it gets bigger. The potential for that to be a bigger impact just grows.
1: Does it ever hit a D12? Because that's a significant reduction. If you it get does. that twelve,
0: it maxes at a D12. Oh. Ooh. Um. Unless, well, if you're a if you're a College of Blades bard. You can use your bardic inspiration die on yourself for your blade flourish techniques and you get a feature that lets you use a d6 instead of whatever your die is without expending a bardic inspiration use but it still maxes up at d12 yeah anyway any what's um unfailing inspiration is an awesome feature level six yes uh when you when your bardic inspiration ability check attack roll or saving throw fails and they use their bardic inspiration to help it succeed but it still fails it doesn't use up their... Bar- they they keep that Bardic
1: Inspiration. It, it makes players really want to remember that they have Bardic Inspiration because they're not afraid to lose it if they fail. Right. That's something... I've seen it happen at our table. I've seen people use a Bardic Inspiration die
0: to try to do something and still fail. And that just... It doesn't feel good. No. <laughs> because you're like... Oh, it's like I had this extra boon, but it wasn't like, enough. And like, then at ooh. the bar, and then the bar like, I gave you a boon. It's like, it
1: wasn't enough. Oh, I got a 12. I don't know if that's enough. Let's roll. Ah, that was a six. It brings it up to 18. 18's still good, right? And it's just like, no, nope. sorry. the race is
0: 19. It's just like, <laughs>
1: Ugh. But
0: at the same time, you should still sometimes fail. Oh, yeah. It's okay. But this makes it so that that failure doesn't sting as much.
1: Exactly. It, it, it doesn't feel like you wasted
0: your dice. Mm-hmm. And that ties in very nicely to the level 14 feature, uh, where when someone succeeds using a, a check, using your bardic inspiration die, you can use your reaction, so you have to burn your reaction, to move that inspiration to a new target. So you can chain it. And you can do this a number of times equal to your, what is it, your charisma modifier? Yes. So, this, this, this bard was in uh, Theros. This is in the Theros book. And you can tell because everything that's new to Tasha's is number of times equal to your proficiency bonus. Yeah, (laughs) That's something that I noticed. I'm like, wait a minute. Let me just check this real quick. But yeah. Anyways. And then also at 6-level universal
1: speech, which gives you an hour of comprehend languages. Which, I mean, (laughs) awesome. Used for role-playing and is really... The, the cornerstone of the eloquence bard because this is all about your ability to talk your ability to communicate if you wanted to play c3po because we were just watching a video about c3po he would be a bard of eloquence yeah absolutely he'd be a warforged bard of eloquence. Now, the
0: downside of universal speech is it's once per long rest and only lasts an hour
1: right but again
0: but- with the college of eloquence being such a role play heavy class both in its theming and all of its abilities that aren't directly related to Mardic Inspiration. It's like, you got to roleplay that. You got to use it. You're like, all right, I'm using this feature. We only have it for an hour. We got to make this hour count. We got to get as much information as we can in this hour. You
1: know what would be really funny? Hmm. If whenever I said you get it for an hour, they didn't mean in game; they meant real time. <laughs> so you had to like put a timer on how long you were allowed to use it. Some DMs do that; they'll
0: use a timer and they're like, while you're talking, they ha- they have it counting down and they stop while you're like out of character talking, stuff like that.
1: That's a little excessive. It's a little excessive, but
0: it, it, if if that's what you got to do to track time when you're DMing, then by all means. And some people do it. Some people do countdowns for like traps and dungeons and stuff like that, but. That's a whole other
1: thing. We'll talk about that in another episode. But The the Bard has a lot of fun stuff, especially with these two new classes. (sighs) I would really like to get into a game and try another Eloquence Bard, because that last game I did fell apart in, like, five sessions that took four months.
0: I could play one in the Mega Dungeon I'm working on building. True, true. Which, that's going to have some role-playing. I'm trying to get a balance of... You know, you meet factions in the mega dungeons, so you have to role play with them. So it's not just like, let's just do a dungeon crawl and fight monsters. I mean, that's going to be most of it. But- right. <laughs> There's other stuff to do too. <laughs> or in our other homebrew campaign that I've kind of been rolling around in my head with. Or in, what's the other camp uh, module I have? Ghost of Salt Marsh. I really want to play that too. Mm-hmm. And maybe if we do for my brother when he runs Icewind Dale and we make characters for each other, somebody will make you an eloquence bard.
1: That would be cool. But, but anyways. There, there's a lot of stuff that could happen. Uh,
0: bards are great. Um, I like the bard. I think I talked about this in the last episode when I, that I did with Tim, where having your bard be the face of your party. The bard goes in first. And especially if you're playing in a campaign setting where adventurers are uncommon, and a group of adventurers rolling into town, it's like, oh, hey, there's these huge buff war. There's this huge super buff warrior armed to the teeth, and this cleric who glows with the radiance of a deity, and a wizard that can warp reality on a whim. And here's a twink. <laughs> and a twink. And
1: and of course, there's a tiefling. <laughs> I love how you equated Typhling to twink. (laughs) A twinkling? And... This is not Ayama or whatever his name is (laughs) from my hero i was
0: just watching my hero too
1: i haven't <laughs> I started cannot I, haven't,
0: stop between I haven't started season five yet so i'm just re-watching the first four seasons before i get back into it i had a weird dream last night where i was midoriya but i was still married to my wife <laughs>
1: <laughs> so and we I were 16
0: and i'm married <laughs> no i was still me but i was also deku <laughs> oh jeez. it was weird anyways i have strange dreams about anime I don't even know why I dreamed that because I didn't even watch it yesterday. I was playing Borderlands before I went to bed. <laughs> but whatever. Um, face of the Party, the bard. It, it works for a setting where adventures are rare. It works for a setting where monstrous adventurers aren't trusted. Like, you know, uh, Phil wants to play a bugbear ranger at some point. He was talking about playing one in my next homebrew. And I was thinking in that homebrew of having bugbears be... You know, kind of like they are in the Monster Manual, where they're, they're looked at as brigands and raiders and, you know, the bad guys. And I'm like, okay, look, but there's going to be towns where they don't let you in. They're going to be like, uh, no, that bugbear cannot come in, because that's a monster. And that's going to be the duty of the bard in your party, to be like, no, 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 no. This bugbear, despite his monstrous appearance, is so-and-so. Here's his heroic deeds. <laughs>
1: And now I can remember is my bugbear that I only got to play for like one session with my brother, who was... That's your sorcerer, right? Yeah, is was, it was a, a storm sorcerer, but the big shtick with his character was he was basically chicken boo from Animaniacs, because <laughs> he, he was like trying to convince everybody, nope, I'm not a bugbear, I'm a person. Yeah, like, hey, you're like, sure, yeah, I'm wearing all these cloaks and you can't see my face. And I'm a I kinda, human man. I kind of have these cloaks, but I'm a human person.
0: I'm a real boy. <laughs>
1: Oh. And the funny part of that was Sean's character was a <laughs> ranger that hated bugbears.
0: You gotta have a you gotta have a, a Warforged
1: that's Pinocchio and wants to be a real boy. <laughs> and they could be a bard and do a tap dance for you. Yeah, dance is their performance
0: because your performance isn't just magic. Let's talk about performances real quick before we end this episode. Performances, you know, as so. The bard can use their instrument as their uh, arcane focus. Yes. If you're a circle, not circle, if you're a college, we gotta talk about that too. If you're a College of Blades bard, you can use your weapon as it, which is pretty cool, because I don't think weapons can be used as it for most classes. I mean, we made exceptions, like um, my cleric in Tim's campaign, Tim let me use my hammer, my warhammer as my.
1: And actually, right now, uh, my character for out of the abyss right now my new one his holy symbol which is the arcane focus of the cleric Mm -hmm. is dawnbringer. right
0: because he's a your light domain right
1: yes and that is a sentient sword of radiance we'll Uh, talk about we'll talk about clerics next week but um i i I, i'm fine with it but like how would you
0: you also use your instrument for your performance and you, you you tie that into your uh your your spell casting. What if you're an eloquence bard and your divine your arcane focus is a like a pipe? Like you know, like you uh, you 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 breathe out your smoke when you smoke your pipe and you shape the smoke to tell your stories and you do all this like theatrical stuff, like Gandalf I in like Lord it. of the Rings, or where similarly, he similarly, uh, or like Bilbo blows that big smoke ring and then Gandalf just like blows a ship of smoke that goes through it. Why not? Why couldn't your bard do that? Like, use their bardic magic when they're telling their stories. Like, they take a puff on their pipe, they blow out this big cloud of smoke, they start telling you this tale of heroism, and it shapes, in you see, like, they're. I really like the idea of a bard who doles out bardic inspiration, not with music, but with verses from, like, your D&D world's version of the Odyssey, Or, uh, Beowulf, like these poetic Mm -hmm. stories of heroism and valor. And that's how you inspire your party is you, fighter, you are like this hero who did these things and slayed
1: this monster. And you can build that into your world's backstory in your bard. Because we're nerds, let's tie this back to Magic the Gathering, because we do that a lot. We sure do. Uh, Tamio would definitely be a bard of eloquence. If yeah. Anything because her spells revolve around the scrolls and the stories that she knows.
0: Mm-hmm. She could also I can also see her as a college of lore. Yeah, true. That'd be a good one for her.
1: I mean, she might be part of the college of lore hold. And, <laughs> and, <laughs>
0: Speaking of colleges, it. before we go, let's talk about the college itself. If you're if you're playing a bard and you're a DM who has a bard in your party, what is the college? Is it a place? Like, there's what? There's three, four, five, six, seven bard subclasses across the three main books. So are there seven... In your world, are
1: there seven places where bards go to train? Or is college just the word that they use to say, like, this is the training of a bard? So right. like Like, uh... A contractor would have like their profession. College just is another way to say your profession, what you specialize. I, I in. like
0: it as, not as a. Pl- I like it as a place for bards to go to train. I like I. I have ideas for a world where bards go to specific colleges to train, and maybe like the College of Whispers isn't well known. It's it's hidden. It's secretive. The cow oh. oh, excuse me. The College of Blades is a traveling circus, but it's also where the people that want to perform knife juggling and feats of, of of uh of like gymnastic prowess that's where they go to train they, they find this traveling circus and join it
1: and it, it's partnered with clyde knight's night night school <laughs> thank you the adventure zone i totally stole that
0: <laughs> <laughs> listen um, to the
1: adventure zone it's great and then also in xanathar you get the, the college of glamour which is
0: trained by the fey in the feywild so, maybe that's where the College of Glamour is. It's in the Feywild, or or it's near a portal to the Feywild.
1: Now I'm just imagining the, the, the leader of that college being a satyr that has a pan flute and he goes around singing all the time and he tries to just fuck every student. Yeah, I mean, why not?
0: <laughs> if, <laughs> if,
1: if you're. Hey, if you're princi- conflict of interest doesn't matter. If you're. If you're. If you're, you're principals of satyr, what do you expect,
0: honestly? Like, let's be real here. But and then on the on the flip side of things, I also really like a world where there isn't a formal college for bards and it's the colleges are the kind of bard that they are. People that travel the world seeking stories and history are lore college bards. And when they meet other bards like them, this is that's the information that they exchange. Whereas if two College of Valor bards meet, they're going to exchange stories from the adventures that they've met or traveled with whereas mm-hmm. if two college of whispers bards meet they're going to they might be a, they might be opposed to each other every time they meet because they're both so shady and, and secretive they're also gonna whisper everything to each other they are at the college of whispers <laughs> or or otherwise they're 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 spreading they're they're exchanging the information of what's going on in the in the underworld of oh. your of yeah. your d d setting and not the actual underworld where the demons and the dead live but like you know the criminal underworld you know and it That's something that you as a bard player should think about when you're making your bard, A. And B, you as a DM should be receptive to when you're making your world, if somebody does want to play a bard. I would say that is something that you can decide later. It doesn't have to be cooked into, like, the basic building blocks of your world. But it's something that can come after your players start making characters and deciding on their backstories and such.
1: Exactly.
0: But... Yeah, I like bards a lot. I think I think bard is a class that I has grown on me over the last couple of weeks while well, I've been kind of rereading about them and thinking about this episode. And I do like bards. I think they get a bad rap for being disruptive, and that's not Bard's fault. It's the players that want to be disruptive. Like if you mm-hmm. say to your table, "Hey, no bards allowed because bards are disruptive," the disruptive player is just gonna play a charismatic rogue and do the same things.
1: Yep. The bard is just their vehicle for being disruptive. Or, or, or they're gonna be like my mom when she played D D, like the one time, and she's gonna be a gnome fighter that just kills everyone.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. A barbarian can be disruptive too. I think I see when I see like memes about who the disruptive player is, it's always like the bard, the rogue, the barbarian are always the ones causing trouble.
1: <laughs> bard, the rogue, the barbarian. My mom <laughs>
0: and, and Adam's mom. <laughs> um, but yeah, bards are great. I love them. They they have such a integral there's such an integral piece of like DD history like bards have they haven't been in DD since like the original game i don't think so i think like the very first release of DD, it was like fighter wizard thief and like that was
1: it <laughs> let's look that up real quick but uh original DD classes the character classes we're gonna google this real quick will we principal base classes well that that's new that's that's like fifth edition yeah, mm-hmm. let's see. There're only three classes, cleric, fighter, and also oh, thief
0: wasn't even in the original one. Greyhawk added, added the thief. They
1: added thief as well as paladin as a subclass of fighter. Right. Paladin was not originally its own class.
0: But yeah, so the bards haven't been around forever, but they've been around like the bard type character has been around in fantasy for such a long time that they uh they 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 have a place. You know they're an option of rogue in second edition advanced. I saw, but yep. and that makes sense. You know, bard's kind of being the roguish type character. But I think that the bards they're they're important. They have a place in the world. And if you're trying to make your world look like, um, a real like real historical fan like medieval world, then bards exist. Yep. They're part of your world. Whether or not you have one in your party is non-consequential. They're part of yeah. your world. They, they spread information. Okay. They are how your party gains renown. So when your party gets to a town for the first time, people already know who they are. Thanks. Thanks for uh, telling everybody about us before we got there. <laughs> yep. But yeah, that's, I think, all I got for bards for today. Next
1: time, clerics, who I think are an underrated glass despite how popular and powerful they are. Yeah, I'm having a lot of fun. We've only done one session. We didn't even really get into combat all that much. Well, my thing about clerics is I feel like they suffer from the same kind
0: of... People turn their nose up at them the same way they do paladins, which I'm super pumped to... Do our paladin episode that's dedicated to our friend Tess because she hates paladins, but <laughs> <laughs> thinks they're boring. But clerics kind of get the same thing. We'll talk about clerics next week. I'm gonna I'm gonna start talking about clerics for another hour if you let me. So let's call it a day, <laughs> and uh,
1: we'll see you guys next week. And as always, keep, keep on, on delving. Down. Oh wow! Hey, <laughs> good time to end the episode.